Welcome to the BAM Biz Talk Podcast, hosted by BAM Biz Hub, also known as the B Squared Hub Accelerator Program. We are a 501c3 nonprofit providing ideation, commercialization methodology, and mentorship to startups, early stage, and growth-driven businesses in the Permian Basin and beyond. The B-Square Hub Accelerator Program is 100% online with access to the BAM team for curriculum questions, resources, and mentorship as we are the only accelerator in the Permian Basin where face-to-face mentorship is available right here at home. We have over 900 enrollments in the B-Square Hub Accelerator Program and are constantly seeking to add more courses and resources to create opportunities for you. Our team, board of directors and mentors are vast and experienced in an array of disciplines culminating in a well-rounded group of resources for our startups and businesses preparing to either enter the market or accelerate their growth. To find out more about us, go to bambizhub.com or call to set up a free consultation at 1-833-BAM-IDEA or 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities. Bam! And here we are again in the Bam House, ready for Bam Biz Talk podcast. Angel and Michael here, and we are sitting today with Miss Sandra Crane. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, very interesting in in story career here. Uh, Tell us, tell us about yourself, and what what do you what's your expertise? Well, my expertise is retail. I have been in retail for about 35 years, and retail is a tough business when you really understand how to serve a customer. So my experience has afforded me, I've worked with a major retailer for, like I said, about 35 years, and I've been in four different states and 12 different stores for this particular retailer and learned a lot through my journey, certainly when I started the role of retail, had no intention of where I ended up being in retail, but I started as a part-time person selling dresses and learned a lot about how to interact with a customer, provide that level of service that gets them to come back over and over again. And then I stepped into management to help on the leadership side to help them grow the business as well and develop and train people and retain customers, which is really what it's all about. Absolutely. Small business owners pay attention to this. Can't do it without a customer. I would say they better be paying attention because you know what? As she just mentioned, uh, there's no cash flow if there's no customer. So uh, I got a few questions. I'm really uh, enthusiastic that my wife is here. And I I know I got to be careful because I could get in trouble at home if I'm not. But uh, let me just say I'm very proud of her uh, experience, her knowledge. Uh, is so in-depth, it's just uh, going to provide a lot of benefits to our uh, people who are listening to us, um, especially our startups and those who have already been in business for a while, wondering how to keep a, uh, uh, you know, a program together that really serves their customer. Uh, with that being said, I, I know uh, I, I can't even imagine how many customers you've faced throughout your entire career, but One thing that I think a lot of people don't know is how important it is to collect customer information. Absolutely. It's more than just the one-time interaction that you have with a customer. That matters, but how do you get that customer to come back over and over again? It's about really developing a relationship with the customer. That relationship should be built on a foundation of trust, both sides, that you trust that the customer is happy with what you do and that they trust that you're going to provide them the level of service and product that they're looking for. With that said, how do you keep them coming back over and over again? You have to establish a relationship to get people to trust you so that you can get their phone number or get their email address or get their home address so that you can really communicate with them and establish a relationship as if you have a new friend. You know, that brings up another question. How do you actually earn the trust, build the trust, introduce the trust, enabling that relationship to start off? I think anytime you interact with the public, I think first impressions make the biggest impression. Certainly people get a vibe when they walk into your place of business. They see whether or not you recognize them, certainly if you're with another customer. I think that they 
have a feeling when they go there for a purpose and you have to just make sure as the person providing that service that you fulfill those purposes for that customer. That that gives the purpose, I would say, really to start that relationship. Now, after you start it, how do you keep it fresh, new, and exciting to enable them to keep coming back to see you? I think that's the interaction of your personality. I don't think any person sells a product, whether you're selling skirts and shoes or cups or electricity. I don't think that the product itself matters as much as how you interact with that person. Some people have a more natural affinity to talk to people and interact with people and make people feel more comfortable as the conversation progresses. But some people who are not really comfortable in that role don't really stand a very good chance of getting that customer to come back again, because it really is based on not just the owner's perception of what customer service looks like, but your employees as well. Yes, that's a great point. So how would you define customer service? I think customer service comes in lots of different packages. Basic customer service is just about how do you serve another individual? Sometimes our society and our culture gets lost in today. What does it really mean to serve another individual? Our world today is more about me. So if I serve the customer, what's in it for me? I don't think you should ever look at a customer prospect as one in which you have to get something out of it. I think it's understood when you serve a customer that you should be getting something out of it, but you should never present that as your first option to a customer. And today we kind of lose that ability to really be sincere in the level of service that we offer. Defining customer service can come in a lot of different packages, as I said. More specifically, it's about not just the interaction, but what are you going to do for the customer after they leave? So customer service doesn't just end once they come into your establishment. It's after they leave. Do you follow up with them? Do you call them? Do you text them? Do you email them? Do you say thank you to them? Do you tell them that I appreciate that you chose to do your business with me? Because today's world has a lot of options out there. They can choose to spend their money anywhere they want. And no longer is small business in a lot of ways still protected because of the internet. They can shop globally. And how do you keep money local? I think that's a real big challenge in any community across the country. How do you keep the customer local, loyal, and spend their money with you. Wow. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize all the moving entities and moving parts that actually takes to uh, retain a customer. But, you know, I know there's customer service, but I also know that there's a customer experience um, that leads to uh, maybe moving them into a, a, a process of sell, but also maybe upselling and cross-selling um, that keeps their attention going and spending and Uh, being in an environment basically that enables that. Right. I agree with that. There has to be a customer experience. And part of that is all wrapped up in just the level of service, the product that you want to sell. Entrepreneurs have a great understanding of how to interact with the customer because when you first start your business, the number one thing you do is try to sell as much as you can. So you don't put limits on anything. I think as you establish that business and you establish your experience, you start putting limitations on what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Every person who's out in the world selling should really have that same first experience sales opportunity with every single customer and don't create the obstacles or the barriers that allow you to sell as much as you can. Because we find in our world today, especially in retail, what what we can't do. You know, one of the things that I talked with my team about a lot frequently with customer services, sometimes we're very quick to say, no, I can't do or we don't do that or company policy says. When you make it a negative experience for the customer, you're less likely to make that experience a positive one. So we have to find ways to say yes to the customer. We can operate in the world of boundaries, policies, procedures, but you can always find a way to help a customer to make sure that the customer is satisfied because the experience has to be one where they want to come back to you over and over again. That's the whole point of it, right? It is. I I agree with you, Angela. I mean, really, it's about being able to bring them back to buy. 
Uh, and you know, if you're bringing them back, I'm not sure, but let's let's hear your point of view on this. Is that retention or is that loyalty? And really, what's the difference between retention and loyalty? I don't think there is a difference between re- retention and loyalty. People will come back to you over and over again because they're loyal to the quality of service that you provide. And it also has to be not just about the service, your product has to be one that you stand behind. That has to be as an important part of customer service as the customer interaction is. If your product's failing, it's not working, it doesn't meet their expectations, you have to be willing to stand behind that. That creates that customer loyalty that has untold ability with that customer to be able to promote your business because we all know that when people are happy, They don't really talk about it too much. But when they're unhappy, everybody knows. So while there are truly some people that you cannot make happy, you can still find a way to satisfy some part of that relationship in a way that maybe you have lost their business, but they're not going to go around town talking about how bad you are because you really did all the things that you could do to try to help them. Right, right. You try. And people don't always, again, we put too many boundaries out there. Once you've established, you know, as again, as a new entrepreneur and you get out there and you start your business, you're saying yes to everything. You have no reason to say no because you want your business to get off of the ground. Well, once you get established in that business and you've been in business for 5, 10, 15 years, you start putting a lot more barriers up for that customer. And then your business doesn't grow to the level that you need to it. To grow it. And, you know, with so many people moving into our community all the time in the oil business, you have a chance with every single customer to get a new customer. And you only get that based on how you stand behind your product and the level of service that you offer that customer. So let me ask you this. What's the, what's the definition of a, of a segment, basically, that operates throughout your store and shopping? So what I'm really trying to get to is you have so many customers, let's say, that buy a certain color. Um, How would you track their likes and dislikes, their purchasing behaviors within the store? You do that through the customer service model where you track customer purchases and you really keep up with what they spend their money on. I mean, there's a ton of information, statistical out there, algorithms, lots of different ways for you to inventory manage customers based on what their buying habits are, how frequently they shop with you. All of that determines certainly customer service as to how far you're willing to go with that. Again, no one should operate a business regardless of what you sell as a one-time customer. You want that customer over and over again. The most important thing you can do when you're tracking customers is to start out your business with how frequently do they shop? Because it's not just important enough to know what did they buy when they were there, but when was the last time they were there? That's actually the first line to call and invite them to come back. Because you have to make sure that you don't lose that relationship. So if you don't have a way to track people, to keep up with the frequency in which they purchase, to keep up with the different variety of items that they may purchase then you lost your ability to provide the true level of customer service. Because today's world on the internet, they're going to remind you if they haven't seen you. Their their ability to be able to track your purchases online should not be better than what you can do in brick and mortar. You should be just as interested in that customer, which leads to a sense of competition. You have competition in a lot of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with like you said, the internet, there's competition everywhere. So like Amazon's, everybody's competition. Everybody's competition. And competition is healthy. For sure. A lot of people want to be the only person in the market. You should never want to be the only person in the market. Yes, there is a benefit to that financially. Certainly you can saturate the market, you can take it over, but really you don't get to be the best that you can be when you don't have competition. Competition affords you the ability to get better at your job. That is so true. And I think uh, we here at BAM just went through an experience where limited competition out there really shows the suffering in customer service. And how you were saying, once they grow, they put barriers. And now the customer service person is saying, oh, well, I can't do that. No, 
not not even like an I'm sorry. It's just, oh, that's our limit right now. You get lazy about customer mm-hmm. service. Exactly. When you yeah. are the only game in town, you don't really have to treat people very well. And unfortunately, sometimes in small communities, when you are the only game in town, what can end up happening is you don't really t- treat the customer the way that they should be treated. And you just expect that they're going to come back because you're the only person that offers that service. Yeah. Who are you going to go to the next guy? Next guy is just as bad. So what are you going to come back? You know, you're going to switch back and forth between them. They don't care. They don't care. And you should never get so established in your business that you don't care about the customer. Right. Because the understanding between the person who walks in the front door supplies your livelihood. And if you don't really have an understanding about that, your livelihood is disappearing in front of you. Absolutely. All I could say is Elon Musk, bring Starlink. We need it now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it brings uh, more questions. I, I can't help. It's uh, it's a lot to do with pricing in some cases, as you mentioned. If you're not just giving it away almost and trying to stay in your marketplace to generate the business you need and the traffic you need in your brick and mortar, um, what is the point where you say, hey, look, I'm cost-driven, low-cost, are on value-driven, high cost, but showing high quality. And how do you match those two entities to a client or a customer? I think you have to. That's a great question. I think you have to establish that protocol at different times in the relationship just of your business. I think when you start out a business selling product, you may be less than the guy down the street, but it's not a permanent situation because I think that once you get people in the door and they have the customer experience, that can determine where you go with your cost and with, with the amount of profit that you're going to make. Again, competition matters. If you're not in touch with what the guy down the street is doing and you just believe that you're doing the best that you can do, what will end up happening is you're not even on the field. They've left you behind. Before you know it, you don't have enough customers to keep up with. Um, You're oversaturated with product, you start losing money, and it becomes a real big challenge for you. And then you have to recreate and get that customer back. Sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can't. You should never be in the situation, though, where you have to chase the customer because you've lost them. You should chase customers because you don't have them. And that's two different things. Wow, that's a great point. So, uh... Man, I don't even know what to say after that. I don't think a lot of people even think that direction because we're startups. We just want anybody and everybody to stay with us. Uh, You feel if somebody walked away from you, you failed. There's a failure rate there. Um, And that's something that most startups don't want to experience. So they'll run after that customer, spending more money to have that customer than what it would cost them to generate more customers. So I think, too, it's it's not the idea that you're running after uh, somebody that dropped off the map, uh, I don't think I'd want to invest my money in that direction anyway. Right. I agree with that 100%. I think that, again, sometimes it's a real challenge to understand what it means to provide customer service because it encompasses different pieces of the relationship. One thing that we could talk about is uh, someone who's not satisfied with your product or a return, right? And they're not happy with the level of service that you've provided or the product has not met their expectations. Sometimes people are willing to lose a customer based on their own pride. You should never be willing to lose a customer because it's your ego. You should be willing to do whatever you need to do for the customer. And sometimes that comes down to principle. You have to determine whether or not you feel like the customer may be taking advantage of you. But again, when you get to the place where that customer is out there talking about you in the public, one thing you want to make sure of, are they authentic about it? And if you didn't do everything you needed to do to try to keep that customer or solve their problem, then they're not authentic about it. And then you get into a maddening circle of where you feel like you have to defend you can never defend to the place where you can save customers. It's better to just let people feel how they're going to feel and you move on and try to rectify that situation with the customer, but don't let it impact the other customers that you have. So in other words, don't let it just kind of destroy the perspective of the movement you're trying to make within the company and pushing sales, but also giving them the respect 
to buy. Absolutely. And people have a, have a, you should give them the same amount of respect to return as much as you do the respect to make the purchase. Absolutely. You know, customers get really frustrated sometimes that you're happy to take their money, but you're sure not happy to give it back. And that's the biggest complaint that I think the consumer has is how easy do you make it for that customer when they're not happy or they just don't like or they were impulse buying? And how do they make that return? If you leave a bad experience for them, they're not going to come spend the money when they have it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a great point. I, th- I was uh, I don't know if I was reading something about Walmart when Walmart first started to get going, but you know how their return policy is it's like just bring it in, right? If you bought it here, you're good. Well, the very beginning, I think a guy tried to return a lawnmower. I'm not saying if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I think I don't know if it was Walton or, or one of his family members that they recognized well, that lawnmower isn't one of ours, but they took it anyways. I think when you start business, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get a customer. And I think you have to decide certainly what's the best for your business. But I think that's a great point that Walmart made, that it really was about how do they keep that customer coming back over and over again? Because not only did they take back the lawnmower that they never even sold, they get to keep the same customer coming who is going to spend money over and over and over again. And then the success from that you know, move fast forward many years later. Right. One of the biggest retailers in the world. One of the largest, yeah. And it's, it's amazing how those little acts can build up over time. Absolutely. You know? Or policy, lose it. Or, I yeah, mean, true. that they just got lucky enough that their act of kindness really spread through a community of people and they were able to build their business into one of the largest in the world. But imagine if they hadn't have taken that time and spent that amount of effort and taken some hits because oh, that's yeah. a financial hit for them, oh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can't afford to do that as a small business owner, but again, it really is how you interact with that customer. Absolutely. And, you know, I know you had brought up employees earlier that they're just as much, you know, on the customer service side as ownership. It's like a culture, right? You have to have that culture of customer service to begin with. Yes. Now, as owner, as a small business owner, how do you transfer that 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 knowledge of that customer service? The, the is it onboarding, is it training? It's all of it. I really think that you have to just be able to find people who care and people who are passionate about the same things that you're passionate about. Because it's really hard as a business owner to trust an employee to take care of the customer as well as you're going to take care of them. But you have to train them, you have to educate them. You have to motivate them and you have to sometimes have difficult conversations with your employees when they don't provide the level of service that you expect that they should be able to provide. Customers are really vocal about what they like and what they don't like. I always welcomed in my whole 35 years of retail, I always welcomed a customer complaint. I looked at it really as an opportunity to correct a behavior that we had that was a problem for the customer, because if the customer leaves and never tells you that you made a mistake, you can never fix what they had a problem with. And you don't want to be in that kind of a situation because not only did you lose that customer, you're at risk of losing a lot of other customers because you don't know what the problem was and you never got the opportunity to fix it. So as uncomfortable as a complaint can be, and I've had many that have been uncomfortable, it has always been an opportunity for us to do what we do better because we never had the attitude or the ego that we were right or that we were perfect or it wasn't our fault. If we made a customer unhappy, we have a responsibility to do the right thing, to make it better for them and to teach our people how to handle that better. Because that's how our business continues to grow. Because a customer may not like the fact that you told them no, but they're not unhappy with the way that you handled it. So professionalism, respect makes a huge difference. And you can tell people no with a smile on your face. For sure. You know, you can say something not very nice in your head, (laughs) but you can't verbalize that to the customer. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> Good point. Kill them with kindness. Yeah. But, you know, there's another thing about this. I know we hit on it a little bit about customer experience. But where does customer experience start 
What's the process and how does it actually end? Customer service starts, the experience starts the moment that they step into your place of business. And I would even go back further than that because most people are going to find out about you. And how do they find out about you? Is that through social media? Is that through television? Is that through newsprint, magazine print, or word of mouth? So what you're saying really about, and it's important to have brand awareness with a brand message that actually exemplifies brand equity. Absolutely. And brand messaging is critical to your business because you're your image is one that you actually control. And most people don't believe that they can control their image as much as they can. And sometimes they give away their image in the wrong manner, and they, it's very difficult for them to get that image back. That image and that brand gets tarnished. Well, the only way that that can happen from a perspective of retail is you let someone else have control over your brand and your image, and you should never be willing to do that. You should never be willing to compromise who you are, how you run your business, what you stand for in your business. You should be the face, the voice, and the image of your brand. Okay. So once we know that we've got a good image, you got brand awareness, what's the next step when they walk into the door? How, how you welcome them, really what you say to them, how you greet them, how you acknowledge them, the fact that they are an important part of your business. One thing I learned in retail many years ago is that a customer is not an interruption to your business. They're the reason for your business. So if you are busy doing stock work, cleaning your floors, putting merchandise away, on the phone with another customer, you cannot treat the person who walked in the front door as if they just interrupted your day. They are the only reason that you have a job. And again, connecting the front door to your pocketbook really determines how much you can sell to a customer and whether they're even going to come back and visit you again. I think that's a good point. It's really a, it really hits at the door where, you know, you, you don't let them just come in and, and uh, make their own way, per se. You, you, you help guide them. You have to acknowledge customers. <clears throat> even if you're busy with another customer, you can always acknowledge the fact that you see them that you appreciate the fact that they're there and you'll be right with them. And then if you're still tied up with someone, then you continue to acknowledge that customer or you actually have opportunities to excuse yourself from the customer that you're currently with to be able to go over and acknowledge the customer that is there. And as long as you explain that to one customer, the customer that you're with that, excuse me, I'm going to go talk to this other customer, I'll be right back. Usually those customers are like, okay, fine, no problem, I'll be right here. If someone doesn't want you to walk away and acknowledge another customer, they have already basically told you that. And they've told you that by your interaction with them. They're demanding your time. They're insisting that you help them. They could be in a hurry too. So you have to really be able to read people, understand customers, and determine what their needs are so that you can provide the level of service that they're asking for. Some people require more of your time than others, and you have to be able to determine that right when they walk in the door. But most people tell you that with body language. They can tell you if they're, if they're here to browse, if they're here to look, if they're here to stay for a while, um, or if they're just here to shop and buy what they need and get in and out as quick as possible. So, you know, I've always noticed there's three types of customer service, typically. <clears throat> Excuse me. One, when you walk into the store, and let's just use a furniture store, for example. You're automatically met at the door. Can I help you? Or what are you looking for? Um, can I guide you in the right direction? And um, myself, I, I'd rather you not even approach me in some cases and just let me guide myself on a leisure, leisurely walk through the store. Then there's another type where you actually go to a restaurant and you're standing there waiting to be waited on. And then finally a table comes about <clears throat> and you're, sit you're sitting at the table and then they come up, you know, and they give you the water and they come back with them, you know, are you ready to order? Are you ready to order? Are you ready to order? And maybe it's sometimes, you know, I, I'm just wanting to enjoy the, my company and have conversation without being bothered with, do you want an order? Um, you know, and then there's that, that point where, you know, you go into a, a, sometimes a, a retail store and you slip in and nobody sees you um, and you may have gone through all the things you wanted to see before you're well I didn't get any help and I leave 
Um, those are three types of examples, I think, of customer service that maybe even uh, your, your experience can maybe uh, give us some feedback on. And all of those scenarios, you can absolutely control all of them. And I think that it comes down to, again, how well you train the staff that you work with, how you really don't just teach them the actions of customer service, but you teach them the art of customer service. And the art of customer service is when you've interacted with people enough that you understand body language, you understand words and verbiage that they use, and then you ask open-ended questions. One of the things that I absolutely hate, which is absolutely true everywhere you go, you can walk into most retail establishments and they will ask you, what are you looking for? Well, in my world of retail, people don't just go any longer to look. They have a purpose. They're going to buy something. So when you ask a customer when they walk in, hi, how are you doing? What can I help you find? The answer is the same every time. Nothing. I'm just looking. No one's there to look. They're only giving you a standard answer because that's how we've all been trained. The customer's been trained and your employees have been trained. What we want to do is train our employees to train the customer differently. So we don't ask them what you're looking for. We ask them what brings you here today. Your shoes look great. The weather is perfect. You can either use a merchandise greeting or a social greeting. And in either of those cases, you are more typically able to get a longer verbiaged response from the customer than, oh, I'm just looking. Because no one's just looking. They're here to shop. They want to spend money. It's up to you as the salesperson or the owner to get as much money as you can. So it gets, it's in the delivery. It's always in the delivery. It's always in the delivery. If you don't stop what you're doing, put down your pen, get off of your phone, get away from your computer and go talk and interact with the customer, you can't learn customer behavior. You can't do it from behind a counter or behind a bar or whatever it is that you're doing. You can't sell from your car. I mean, people who are cold selling People don't just drive up to a business and talk to anybody from the car to ask them to buy their products. They're going to call, make an appointment, get out of the car, go interact with people, be interested in somebody else besides yourself. And that's how really you sell. That's the art of selling and providing customer services. Is it's not about you. It's got to be about your customer. Who are you? Why are you here? How much money do you have and how much can I take? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. I mean, if you got it, I want it. That's, That's the way retail dollar, is. Right? Yes. So that brings me to a little bit of the training methods that you, you we've been talking a little bit about. Um, I, let's say I'm a new retailer. Uh, I, I've got my, my, my Fords all stocked. I even have some inventory back there. Now I'm meeting some employees. What would be the process of training some employees to understand what you need to have within your establishment? The first thing is, is that you have to teach people about the product itself. So if you don't train your people on what the features and benefits are of the product that you're trying to sell, they are not going to be able to communicate that to your customer. So sometimes in the world of selling, we don't always spend enough time training our people on the right language to use or what not to say to a customer. We do tell them what to say, but as a person, you interpret those things that you hear in any given way. So role-playing is really important. It's an uncomfortable process for most employees to role-play, but it really does make a difference. But I also think that one of the most important things that you can do when you're training people is lead by example. So if you want them to go out and speak to a customer about a certain feature or a certain benefit, they need to see you in action doing that. People cannot just be left on their own. They don't know how to do it. They don't know what to say. They misrepresent. They overpromise. They underdeliver. And then you're left cleaning it all up. So the training aspect of it from an employee to an employer situation is they have to know as much about the product as you do. And again, it comes back to what we talked about when we first started the conversation. You've got to have people who care. Yeah, I think uh, having that the, the right employee in line is, is probably your, it's your clay that you're building with. 
not only do you represent, but your employees represent. So if you want the message to be delivered a certain way, you have to make sure that they have to deliver that message the way that you want them to deliver it. And if they don't, you have to be comfortable enough to go back to them and say, this didn't work, and let me tell you why. And this is how we need to do it, and I need your help to make sure that we do it this way so that we take care of our customer. Right. Let's work through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll find that there's a lot of diamonds in the rough out there in the world of, of retail sales or any type of sales at all, that sometimes people who come from other places and have sold will bring great benefit and great value to what you do. Sometimes you find that people have no experience at all, are really good at what they do because they've not learned all the bad habits ah, from somebody else. True. So you get to bring them in fresh and new and train them the way that you want them to be trained. But, you know, a great person with work ethic starts basically at home and in school and at college because how well they get through that discipline is going to determine the type of employee that they're going to be for you. I almost want to hear that again. Honestly, in my time at, uh, at a university, I, uh, I've often, you know, tried to be the, the one that's willing to help them through it. Uh, and I'm wondering sometimes if that didn't do more, uh, well, if that, that was really the right choice, uh, maybe they should have worked through it a little bit harder. Uh, maybe they get the appreciation out of it uh, as to how that would stimulate them maybe in the real world. Uh, and versus just uh, in a classroom. You know, today we all get trophies. That's that's the worst thing. And the other side of it is I notice employees, it's it's not about the money anymore. It's about time. True. Um, can you enlighten us about the money and time with some of the, uh, the employees' uh, behaviors in working in retail? Well, I, I'm obviously old school if I've been in retail for 35 years. So I value time but I need money. And so in the world today, those are upside down. They value money, but they need time. And I don't know how you have time when you have no money to go anywhere to use your time. So we have to look at how that process starts from the beginning. And from the beginning is maybe they didn't get that structure of self-discipline, whether it be at home, at school, or at church, whatever those things may be, you can teach those things to the people that you work with as an employer and selling and valuing who the customer is and the benefits from that relationship. Most people buy in today based on what's in it for me. So if it's what's yeah, in it absolutely. for me then they want time more than they want money because they they have a life and they have needs and they have purpose and it's a lot more fun for them to do whatever they want to do than to work. And so you have to find that work-life balance today that is more important than ever and not allow that work-life balance to affect your customer service because it can impact and impede what you try to do. If you give too much time off, then you don't have enough people to help serve your customer. If you don't give enough time off, then you burn out your people and they don't give a good attitude to your customer. So it's a real balance when you try to get through that environment from the front door to the back door and make sure that both of those things are balanced and that it's a win on both sides. And that's, that's the trick, right? Having both your employees happy to make the customer happy, you know, it's, it's a cycle. You to have make to, the owner happy. Yeah. <laughs> to make the owner you happy. You have to yeah. provide a, a, an environment that your people that you work with are happy because they absolutely give all of that happiness or all of that negativity to your customer. Mm -hmm. People cannot separate emotionally today. They don't leave their problems at the door. They come in, they bring it with them. And when they bring it with them, it impacts your customer. Absolutely, yeah, because it's in the middle of your, your culture. Absolutely. But, you know, going through all this, um, you know, we've heard, you know, give employees incentives, uh, give them more money, give them more time off. I mean, there's a list of things now today that we typically would have to give employees from what we've heard. Um, 
where back in my day, you got an hourly rate, um, and if you did really good, you met your uh, performance uh, indicators uh, that are relevant to the company's performance, uh, you would get a raise. Um, what's that like today? I think it's still there. The foundation of the business is the same. Pay for performance, uh, every company has to be measured against. Because if you're not performing, you can't pay. So you have to have the metrics in place to be able to profitably run your business so that you have a performance factor that equals your pay factor. Usually when you don't or you can't afford to pay, it's because you're not performing. You're not doing all the things that you need to do to sell your product, to provide customer service, to get that repeat business. So pay for performance is critical in the world of any business that you have, whether it's a restaurant or it's a car dealership or it's a retail store or a drugstore. It doesn't matter. Pay for performance means that you're successful at selling your product and therefore you can reward your people with the pay that they need to sustain a livelihood. If that gets upside down, then you're obviously in trouble with your business. But you can incentivize employees to do more for you on certain occasions. But when you get into the trap of only being able to get people to perform because they've been incentivized, then what ends up happening is you're losing money because you're paying more for performance again that you're not going to get. And really, people should just get paid for the job that they do. No question about that. But you have to reward them. It's the environment that you provide. It should be a fun environment. They should be a shareholder in your business because when they are a shareholder in your business, they're going to take care of your business as well as you are. So is it better to, to enable the employee with the knowledge that you're a, a, a partner to the business or do we keep it as an employee to the business? I think both. I think for me in my world with retail Everyone on my team is a shareholder. If you work there, then you are determining whether or not our company is going to be successful. And your actions not only affect each other from the workplace, but it affects our customer and it affects the success of our company. And it determines whether or not we're going to have growth. We're going to continue to do the job that we were all paid to do. If you're not having a vested interest in the company, then we really didn't need you because you hurt us more than you helped us. And honestly, we can't afford that. We can't afford to have an, an employee out there who didn't buy into the Kool-Aid like everybody else. And if they didn't believe in the same integrity-driven level of service that the company believed in, then they were against us. And how can you be a shareholder if you're not going to believe in your company? So in other words, everybody puts in their fair share and I, I even hesitate to say that, but um, your fair share to make the company operable as well as profitable. Your fair share is an investment. And if you are willing to invest your time, then you should be willing to do it for all the right reasons. So let me ask, do you, do you believe in anything as far as incentives, uh, bonuses, uh, any of that nature maybe to, to motivate the employee to do better or always. is it just a raise? No, I always believe in um, having people buy into your business, your company, and invest in who you are, and they have to have rewards. However you come up with the reward, whether it's monetary or it's time, I do believe in that. I do believe that people will be loyal, be more grateful, be more thankful of what they have. And if you, they feel like they can make a difference every day. I mean, one thing that I did every single day when I worked in retail is I walked into a building and I determined every day that I was going to go in there and make a difference. And in retail, that's a hard thing to commit to because your priorities can get changed from the moment you walk in the door and nobody's in the building till the time that the doors open. And those priorities can change in an instant. But knowing that you have the power to go in and make a difference every day, whether it's on the employee side or the customer side, is empowering. Because you do truly understand that what you do does matter. And then the employer looks at that because I worked for an employer. They incentivized me to have that sort of an attitude. And so they took care of me, which is why I stayed with them for 35 years, because I couldn't have done that job 
if I didn't feel like they appreciated the effort that I made every single day. That was not always appreciated through money, and it wasn't always appreciated through time, but it was a simple thank you, or it was rewarded with a promotion. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can incentivize people, and it doesn't always have to be monetary or with time. Awards. Awards, recognition for a job well done. Because the truth is, the person that I worked for couldn't do it without all of the people that worked for them. Right. So the best part about what I did was no one worked for me. Everybody worked with me because Ah. I understood that my job was not nearly as important Mm -hmm. as the people who represented the customer every day. So if those people were not happy, if they were not in a good place, if they didn't feel good about what they were doing, if they had some crisis at home and they couldn't focus on the customer, all of that impacted whether or not we were going to have a successful day, a successful month, or a successful year. And so no one worked for me, but they worked with me. And that's a great perspective to have when you're operating at that level because on black and white, on paper, you're the boss, right? Absolutely. Right. But in a team environment every day working working it's a it's a team effort yes to get going so that perspective change right there is is really crucial uh, for business owners to understand that again when you start out your business regardless of what type of product you're selling you're willing to do whatever it takes to make that business successful so you don't get caught up in your own ego of being the owner of the business because the last i checked Not only were you the owner, but you were unloading the truck, you were cleaning the restroom, you were doing all of those things that you needed to do to make that business happen. And then once you started tasting a little bit of success, you started separating yourself from what that business was. Well, that's all fine and good, but really those people won't continue to do that for you if you don't have a connection to who they are and you don't recognize what their contributions are. And that makes a huge difference. Well, I I agree. I couldn't say it better. 100%. Uh, You know, that brings me to something else that's really heavy on my mind. We talk about how important brand awareness is to to enable brand equity. We talk about the idea of retention loyalties. There's no difference in that. We we talk about how we uh, approach the customer um, and trying to enable them with whatever they want to do within the store as far as looking, finding uh, and, and encouraging the sales just to say that. Um, but then there's the, the other thing that we've got to do, collect information, make sure we can contact them, stay in touch with them, send them back a message for, uh, you know, a thank you for maybe selling so much or buying so much merchandise. Um, and even the little guys, I think, too, we, we, you know, the guys that come in to buy, and they don't buy a whole lot, but they, they, too, need to find a way of being recognized for coming in the store uh, because little guys actually grow up, grow much more than the big guys. Um, but my I, my thought here is, is uh, we, we go through all these processes. How do we measure it? How do we measure customer service in regards to uh, creating the revenue within the store? I think customer service is measured by the time, the frequency in which that customer comes back to you over and over again. So you start developing a clientele list of people who are your top customers. And one of the things that you have to be really careful of is that any new person that comes to your establishment could eventually be your top customer. You can't just assume that because they come in one time and you haven't seen them for six months, that they're not as valuable as the person that you see every week. And that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about one customer, for instance, in my world, Intel, Motorola, and Honeywell were really big purchasers of mine. But uh, mom and pa shop down the street was, to me, was just as important because they're a return customer every month where the big companies that I serviced, I may see them maybe every two, four months. Absolutely. And you don't know the potential that people have to be your customer based on what their ability is because we don't know anybody's finances. And so, you know, one thing you learn in retail that you don't judge a book by its cover. So somebody comes in and they may not be dressed the way that you would perceive a person who has a lot of money would dress, but they spend more money than the person who spends all the money on their, on their look. So it really doesn't matter what the customer looks like, what their background is, where they come from, what their ethnicity is, their race. Every person's money spends. 
and you have to be willing to go out and get their money in any way possible. Certainly you have standards, you don't compromise your integrity. If you're not after a certain or you don't target a certain customer, no one says you have to go after that customer. But today's world, you can't afford to turn anybody down. You need all the money you can get. You need all the ways that you can get your business to be successful. And you have to be willing to do whatever that takes. And that means that you have to be willing to accept any customer. It should be judgment-free. You should have a judgment-free business where you just take people, you provide a service. If they're happy with it, you celebrate them, you say thank you, and then they keep coming back over and over again. And that's the best of what you can expect. Plus to go tell all their friends. Plus to go tell all of their friends. Yep. And bring their family too. Yeah. Bring. So, you know, when we look at uh, sales, I always tie that into inventory. Uh, inventory that you pay for, that you're looking for a return on, ROI. Again, in measuring customers, how do you keep up with those turn rates to make sure that you have sales in certain items? And how do you switch those items out to make sure that you have a, a real uh, profitability, if you will, to the product that you select. Inventory management is critical to any business to make sure that you have the product, the demand. The demand, the supply and demand is really important. I think we've all learned that through COVID about having a, a supply demand problem. And that's a part of customer service. Of course it is. Because if the customer keeps coming and you don't have the product, they're going to stop coming because you're teaching them that you don't have it. So you have to be really interested in the inventory levels that you have, but you also have to go one step further. If you don't have it, then you need to track the customer so that when you do get it, that you call that customer right away so that they get it first and it's not sold out by the time they come back again. It's again, the customer experience and the level of service and how far are you willing to go to make sure that you take care of customers. Inventory management absolutely can cripple your business and it can lose customers because you just don't have the product. But it goes further than just having the product that the customer is coming in for. You should be talking to your customer to find out what they do want because you want to add those products to your inventory assortment so that they're not going somewhere else to get those products. They may come to you for one thing, but you had no idea they were going to some one else to get a different product that you didn't even think or know about was available out there. So just the interaction with the customer makes a big difference. So in some cases, I think, Angel, we, we, we preach this, um, the value proposition, making sure that you're solving a problem or uh, resolving a pain in the market right. um, and without causing a pain. And obviously, sometimes with inventory, that could be a pain that's not being oh, yeah. solved, and that's why you're losing the customer. And the upside of this is, or downside to this would be is, as Sandra just mentioned, if you don't have the product, chances are you could lose the customer. Yeah, and actually, uh, we had a client one time where we turned uh, their inventory and uh, took out products that weren't selling, put other products up front that would sell, and you know made suggestions based on uh, the small retail space, and uh, it ended up turning their store around. Yes, it did. In fact, uh, we actually used a major retailer's uh, philosophy, if you will. You know, you want to put the good things in the back of the store so you can see some of the good things in front of the store, you know, things that aren't really big sellers, but maybe are reminders of things that you want. I think a lot of that had to do with even the cash register. Um, you get hungry on the way out, mm -hmm. you're paying, you're in line, and you see the gum, the, the chips, and, uh, well, my favorite, the beef jerky. Uh, all those good things there as you're standing in front of it for a longer period of time that it becomes an impulse buy. Yes. But the good thing is that you enabled the impulse buy uh, being that you're that close to the cash register. Absolutely. If you have a storefront and you operate out of a brick and mortar presentation and location of your product within that space absolutely determines the customer's buying habits. You know, the retailer that I worked for we would not necessarily put all of the best merchandise at the door. And then sometimes, a lot of times, we did put the best merchandise at the door. And the reason being is there's, it was twofold. The first thing was when we put our branded merchandise at the door, we wanted the customer to know right away that we carried that product because that product is usually very competitive in the marketplace. And because it's competitive, that means they could go anywhere and get that product. 
So we put it at the door so that the customer would know right away that this was a location for them and that we could be what they needed to be because we carried that particular brand. Other products, we would make destinations within the location because the customer is going to come buy that product no matter what. And so it didn't benefit us as a retailer to put that merchandise at the door because they were going to come for it anyway, much like you do at the grocery store when you're looking for bread, milk, and eggs. They don't put those at the door. Those are the three top things that are sold at a grocery store all the time, hands down. Well, they put them all in the back of the store because they want you to walk through the whole store and get a basket and fill it up. Even though you came after one of those three things, you usually walk out with four or five additional things. At a they minimum. do that exactly. And Especially they do that if you're on hungry. Purpose. Oh yeah. They do that on purpose. And they sell to kids really well as as in a grocery store, probably more so than even the adults, because the whole reason that they moved all of the candy and the drinks and the gum and everything at the register is because how many times is the kid gonna say I want, I want, I want. And then you end up saying yes. I do that a lot. I want, I want. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, you know, if I'm a startup and I'm in a retail business, what advice would you give them uh, as a uh, kick in the butt per se uh, to start their business and think about customer service inventory and those kind of things that we've just talked about? I think the first thing is you have to know your customer. You have to know the marketplace that you're getting into, and you have to know who your competition is. How important is that? Critical, because if you don't know who you're competing against, then you don't know how you're going to sell. You don't know the outcome of what your investment is going to be. And it costs a lot of money to start a business today. And so you have an investment that you need to have an ROI on. And you can't get that if you don't know all of those specific things when you start your business. Do I have the right product? Do I have enough of that product? How frequently can I get that product? Who is my customer? Who sells the same product that I'm selling and how are they selling it and how much are they selling it for? You have to do enormous research in the market when you get out to start a retail business because it's not just as easy as popping the trunk on your car. Or build it, they'll come. Or build it, they'll come. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Man, what a, what a what great insight. Is there anything else that you would like to address for our small business owners, our, our startups you know, before, before we leave, because this is such a great show, you know, it'd be great for a little cap off. There. Well, one thing I would say is for people who are going to start their own business, in order for you to really be successful, you need to care about people other than yourself. Your purpose cannot be as important as your customer. And I think if you keep the customer first and you do anything and everything you can to take care of your customer, you should have a lifelong opportunity to be successful in any business that you want to run. But you have to have the foundation of what you're doing, the purpose that you're doing it, and get help along the way. Sometimes people struggle in business and they don't understand that they're having a problem or they don't know how to solve that problem. One thing I do know, yes, these people that I'm here with today, BAM Consulting and BAM BizHub, also help people, not just to help you get started with it, but they're your partners for life. And that really does make a difference because you'll come through different opportunities within your journey. You won't have the same problem at five years that you'll have at 10 years. And you won't have the same problem at 15 years that you had at five years. So you need a relationship with people who can mentor you and guide you. And just know that what you do has to be about other people. It can't just be about you making money, because if that's what you get into it for, you're not going to be as successful as you'd like to be. It really has to be about providing a service, helping a customer and making a difference in your community. A hundred percent. I really do appreciate that. Um, and just the, you know, the dynamic of, you know, well, I mean, someone start a business. Well, I, I want to be my own boss. I don't want a boss anymore. Well, you kind of always do have a boss there, don't you? You always have a boss. And you don't ever start a business because you don't want to be told what to do. Because a lot of people are going to tell you what <laughs> to do you every to do. single day when you, when you own your own business. And the, usually the people who tell you the most is your customer. Right. So 
and you can't tell them no, and you can't tell them you can't tell me what to do because you won't be successful. Can't quit on them. Can't quit on them. Yeah, I, I always like to look at my customers as that's my report card. It uh, is. So uh, if I fail them, then I've lost the customer. And if I've given gotten an excellence, given them an excellence, chances are they're going to come back and buy more. Well, you don't so want to start this business. It's such a big deal to start your own business. And you don't want to start it to fail. And you don't want to take all that investment and lose it. So you have to let the ego go so that you can learn what you need to learn to be successful. And that's painful sometimes. And it's not only painful from the inside, me talking to myself, it's painful from the outside. Somebody's telling me that I'm not doing the right thing. Sometimes your stubbornness can be your greatest asset. Sometimes your stubbornness can be your biggest failure. It's like fire. Yeah, for sure. Well, great show. Thank you very much Thank for the you. Yeah, this has been Thank excellent. Thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. I think uh, we've really taught the uh, community, the entrepreneurs, the startups. Uh, we've given them a lot of information today that I'm hoping, I really am hoping, that, that they start to build their foundation on the importance of knowing your customer, knowing your competition, and knowing what it's like to make sales. Have fun. Have fun with people. That's the best part that you can do every single day is love the people that you work with, love the customer that comes into you, and before you know it, life is great. I think a Beatles song just popped in my head. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all have a good one. Thank, thank you. you very much. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities.